All right, good evening, everybody. If you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew 10, that's where we'll be tonight. Matthew chapter 10. And we'll pray to get started here. Lord, um, we thank you for the singing we were able to all join in together and lift up your praises and worship you for all that you are. And we know the kids were doing the same, and um, that's why we come. Uh, we could do this on our own, and we do. But to do it together is special. Um, you've designed us to, to be that way, to be a building, to be a body, and uh, here we are. And so, Lord, as we as a body get together and study your word, we pray that you'd open our hearts to receive um, your truth, um, that it would affect us and change us, and uh, would give us direction, would give us correction, would encourage us, um, whatever you want to do with it. And uh, we just open ourselves up to you, the great physician, to do what you do best, and that's to heal and, and to help. And so we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week in chapter 9, beginning in verse 37, he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I don't know if we expounded upon that too much, but that's what chapter 10 is about. Um, Jesus is about to send out the twelve. Apostles. They're called disciples, but they become apostles because the word apostle means to be sent or sent one. And so they change from disciples to apostles. I don't believe that everybody that's sent by God could, should be called an apostle. That's just a personal opinion. Some disagree. Um, but for me, it's, it's a special name reserved for a special few people. Um, but we are sent. We are called uh, and so as we listen to Jesus give the 12 their directions, and their it's a command. This is how I want you to conduct yourself on the mission field. As I send you out, not only do you represent me um, and are preparing the way for me like John did, in other words, they would be the, um, the forward group that would go ahead before Jesus got there and would prepare everybody. Here comes the Messiah, the kingdom of God is at hand, and they would be prepared, and then he would come and teach. And so that's what they would do, an advanced party. We would call them today. You represent me, you prepare people, but I want you to conduct yourself in a certain way. And so he gives some specific instructions. But I want to go back to last week's last verse. As much as we love that verse, it's the, you know, we like to say it, the harvest is truly plentiful, it's white, it's ready. That doesn't mean that we can just go. That's not what he says. He doesn't say the harvest is white. Why isn't anybody out there? making us feel guilty or condemned for not going out there to go ahead and reap and harvest. He specifically says, the laborers are few. There aren't a lot out there. Therefore, pray, guys, I want you to pray that the Lord of the harvest, the one who owns it, the one who's going to reap the benefits of it, to send out laborers into his harvest. You've got to be sent. You have to be sent by God to do this, to do harvesting. We're called to it, of course, but there are days when there are more productive days as far as the harvest goes, as, as opposed to just going out and doing it just because that's just like what I'm supposed to do as a Christian is to go out and harvest. And so you belaborly, you, know, you go out there and say, you want, you want Jesus? No. Nope. You want Jesus? Nope. And that's your attitude because that's just what Christians do. We're required to do that. No. When you're called and sent by the Holy Spirit to go on a specific day and a specific way or specific place or to a group of people, 
You're empowered, first of all, with a love for them, a a passion for them, a compassion for them. And you begin to already have this uh, connection with them. Even though they have no idea who you are, you begin to pray and you begin to prepare yourself. You begin to go and, and minister and serve them. And so that's what he's asking his guys to pray for. Pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. They have to be equipped. And they have to be trained. And they have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's some things that happen. And so that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. That's what being a disciple of Christ is about. We're being trained. We're learning. We're preparing our own lives first because we cannot go out and start pulling out specks until we get the planks out of our lives. So the first thing any laborer or harvester needs to do is to make sure they're prepared to harvest. Has God changed your heart? Have you got a handle on these things in your life? Or are you still consumed with your own sin? doesn't mean you don't tell people what God is doing in your life. There's always the opportunity to testify, to be a witness, to tell him specifically, tell others specifically what God's done for you. But to go out like these guys are going out, they, they are going out with one purpose, a, singular, a single focus, and that is to prepare people's hearts for Jesus. They're not doing anything else. That's what they do. And he prepares them for that. So pray that the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Verse 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, now there are many disciples, but he calls these specific 12 to him. He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, he's the author, James, the son of Alphaeus, and uh, Labias, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These are the 12 apostles that were sent. He called them, he prepared them, he filled them with the Holy Spirit, gave them the ability to cast out demons. He endued power from on high to them, and that's never changed. We talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. And I talk about it a lot, not because, not, I talk about him a lot, not because we don't know, but I don't know that we understand the importance or that he's a person. Oftentimes he's treated like a force or an essence or something, but we don't really talk about it because we're not sure what he is or it is. He is the third person of the Trinity, equal with the Father, equal with Jesus Christ. He's equal. Now, he serves a different role. He points people to Jesus. Jesus brings people to the Father, and so there is an order, but all considered equal, okay? So, Jesus is sending and giving the ability, the power to do these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus is operating. That's how these 12 apostles will operate. And that is how we operate. Without the filling and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we cannot operate the way we're designed to operate 
under God's call or him sending us out. We must be operating and being used or being using and allowing the Holy Spirit to use us. Those powers come from him in us. And so there's not a, a potion book or an incantation book that we can find in here that says, okay, so here's what I do. In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, the demon come out of you, Jerry. It's not how it works. Oh, good job. He looks healed. But um, it's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. And I say that, and a lot of people go, yeah, work of the Holy Spirit. I don't think I can emphasize this enough. I want you to see this. This is normal Christianity. Chapter 10 is what happens to the disciples that are going to be sent by God to harvest people, souls, for the name of the Lord Jesus. And it never, ever changes. Chapter 10 is the same that the same command, the same calling, the same sending, the same equipping that we all need to have in order to do what God's called us to do. This isn't just for them. It isn't just one of those moments, well, wouldn't that have been great to live back then, to be there when Jesus actually sent the whole... It's us. It's for us. He literally tells these guys, before he ascends into heaven, as they're sitting there watching him, I don't want you to go until I send the helper to you in Acts chapter 1. I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait till I give you the power from on high, till I send the helper, the Holy Spirit, then you go out. That has never, ever changed. It's the same today as it was back then. And so if you're serious or interested or feel that call of God to be in the ministry to be used, to be sent by him, to harvest, and to train up, and to lead, and to teach, and to do all these things, you have got to wait for the undoing, for the power to be endued to you, given to you from on high by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's going to be your efforts. And I think that's why we see so many failed ministries, so many attempts at Bible studies, so many, I think God called me, but they never waited for that. And they went out in their own strength and did it and it failed. And they walked away three weeks later because, well, nothing happened. You know, these 12 are going to run into it. They are going to be persecuted. They are going to be whipped. They are going to be beaten They cannot do this on their own or they will go running. We know what that looks like at the cross when Jesus is getting whipped and they don't seem to have this power at that time. They go running for the hills and hiding. After Acts chapter 2, when they get filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus is ascended. They come out blazing. 3,000 people get saved with Peter's first sermon. And they just go on and on and on from there, being martyred for their faith, but never looking back, changing the entire world, setting it on fire for Jesus Christ, because they've been endued with power from on high, filled with the Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is so important, so vital. So he sends these guys out. Matthew being one of them. Even Judas Iscariot has all these abilities, and that's what it means when you've tasted and seen what the, that the Lord is good and that you walk away from him. How, how do you get saved after that? And that's what we're seeing here with Judas. 
He's actually going to betray Christ even after casting out demons and healing the sick and seeing people come to know the Lord and preparing them for, you know, he's going to walk away. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the, a city of the Samaritans. Those were the half-Gentiles, half-Jews. So I, I strictly want you to go to the Jews only. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs. For a worker is worthy of his food. This is the first time he sends them out. The second time he sends them out, much, much more provision. They're told to take swords, walking sticks, bags, all this stuff. They're supposed to do that. Not this time. It's different. This first time you guys go out, I want you to walk by faith. And what I mean by that is I want you to trust me to provide for you along the road, Jesus would say. I want you to make sure that you're working while you're going out. I don't want them to have to pay you to teach them. I don't want you sitting back saying, boy, do I have a truth for you? Five bucks, you know. No, freely you've received this beautiful gospel, all these gifts, freely give out. Don't be charging people for healing them. Don't be charging people for casting out demons. Leave that up to those shysters that are right behind you. And they were there. A lot of guys take advantage of the fact that they're called by God and they pocket. Now, when we get into the New Testament, we know that Paul and Peter and all those guys, they did take a salary. There's nothing wrong with that. Can we bring along a believing wife? Isn't it right for us to make a living from the gospel? This is different. That's a whole that's the church. That's the that's book of Acts and so on. Not a not the issue here. This is different. This is I want you guys to know what it's like to trust me, to walk with me, and see me provide for you daily. Not ahead of time, not monthly. I like monthly, personally. I like to be provided for by God monthly and not have to go daily. I like to know that tomorrow's bread is paid for or next week's bread is paid for. I like that. That brings me comfort, and God doesn't want that. He wants me to be so comfortable with him that it doesn't even cross my mind. That it doesn't even, I don't even worry about those things. To walk by faith, I'll provide for you the whole way. I'll take care of you. Um, why to the Jews only? Let me take some time here on this. Um, he does minister to the Gentiles later on, and, and we'll get to that. Um, Paul, writing to the Romans, sort of explains it to them. The Romans were the Gentiles who did receive the gospel and are born-again believers and needed to be taught, you know, what it meant to be a born-again believer. But they were, they were saved, but what it looked like to walk that way. And they began to boast about those, those dumb Jews, you know, kind of thing. And Paul had to correct them on that. And so that's why he pens the book, or the letter, to the Romans, verse one, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. Again, the next chapter, 2, verse 9. Tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first, and also of the Greek. 
Romans 2, verse 10, the very next verse. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's making a point. And we need to still teach that point today. That just because blindness in part has come to the Jews does not mean that God has forsaken them, nor does it make us superior as Greeks or Gentiles being saved. Always remember that it was for the Jew first. The Messiah was always promised, yes, to Abraham. This is really our spiritual father. But to Jacob and the nation of Israel was to be looking for this Messiah. Oh, Israel, or Jerusalem, or Jerusalem, how long I, I wanted to gather you like a, a, a mother hen gathers her chicks. You know, Jesus says, you should have known my day and time. You should have been waiting. Of all the people of the earth, you were the ones that knew everything you needed to know about the Messiah coming, and yet you didn't recognize me. Which is a teaching in and of itself. Our expectations can really let us down and blind us to the truth of what God wants to do in our lives. Got these expectations. God's called me. I know what he's going to do. I know what he's going to do. No, you don't. He hasn't told you steps B, C, and D. He's only given you step A, you know. Well, the Jews had gotten excited about this Messiah, and they knew exactly what he was going to do, how he was going to look, what he was, and they, complete, and they wanted to, well, who's this guy? Kill him. And they actually killed the Messiah, not recognizing who he was. Because of that, Jews first got their chance, but later on he moves then, to the Gentiles. So he explains this to Roman, to the Romans in chapter 11, verses 7 through 10, explaining to them that it was the Jew first and the Gentiles second. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it and the rest were blinded, just as it is written. And here's what was written about them. God has given them a spirit of stupor. This is a prophecy about the Jews and their Messiah. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, so another prophecy, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. Now that doesn't mean God made them unable to see the Christ, but that is their choice. They had the idea that he was going to be like Moses. Fine, keep looking for Moses and in their own expectations, they were looking for someone like Moses and missed Jesus. God says, have it your way. And so they were looking that way. But some that did understand, you think of Anna at the temple when Jesus was being circumcised on the eighth day, she recognized the Messiah. She knew, you know, Simeon recognized him. There he is. There's the Messiah. They got it. So not all the Jews were blinded. Those that wanted to see and knew what the Messiah was there to do to save people from their sins and not get rid of the Roman yoke, they understood, and they saw, and they believed. But the rest didn't. In that same chapter of Romans 11, further on down, Paul teaches them in verse 26 that just because they're blinded now doesn't mean they're blinded forever. They're going to get a second chance to find their Messiah, to see Jesus. He says, and so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, prophecy, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. The prophecy says, yes, they'll reject me, and blindness will come to them in part, and then we'll go to the Gentiles, and we'll get them saved, and then we come back to the Jews. And that's how the Bible reads. It's 
very clear. It's what the book of Revelation is all about, actually. The nation of Israel's final chance to receive their Messiah. Later on in this same book, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, when he gives them the final commission, he gives them the commission to go out into the world. Look what he says. After the Jews have rejected him, and he's about to ascend, he's been crucified. But before he goes, he says this, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations. Jews first, they rejected, now it's open to all, is the idea. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's step one. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So back to Matthew chapter 10, where we are tonight. I want you to go out and I want you to go to the Jews. I don't want you to talk to the Gentiles yet. I don't want you to even talk to the half-Jews, the Samaritans yet. I want you to talk to the Jews only, and I want you to walk by faith. I want you to trust me to provide for you. You need to know that. You need to know that I can do that for you because you can't tell other people that I can do that unless you've lived it. Very simple. Verse 11. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy. And stay there till you go out. And when you go into the household, greet it. If the household is worthy, there it is again, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Exclamation point. So he's, you know, pretty loud right now as he's giving this command. That's the second time he said something like this. First time was in chapter 7. We talked about that. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Jesus says, what I have to offer, what I'm telling you to teach, what I'm telling you to speak are my words, and they're valuable. They're pearls. Don't give them to swine. They're just going to trample. They're going to turn and rend you. Give it to the people that understand the value of what you're having to say. And he says it again here. This is a command to you. When you go in, find out who's worthy. How do you know who's worthy? We're going to hit that in verse 34 and so on. But the people that are worthy are the ones that know their condition. They know where they stand. He's not talking about, well, you've got to be kind of a Pharisee or a Sadducee or kind of a religious guy or sort of a religious gal. You've gone, you know, kind of worthy, you know. No. The worthiness is the one that beats his breast because he's a sinner and knows it, you know? That's someone who can receive that pearl because they're looking for it. <laughs> That's super valuable. When, when you're in trouble and you don't know what to do and you're looking for an answer for whatever the problem or it is and someone comes up to you and says, oh, I've got an answer for that. Oh, thank goodness. But if you're a know-it-all and you don't need any help, even though you do need help, and someone comes up to you and says, can I help you with that? No, I got it. I got it. That's the unworthy. So the gospel is the same way. There's a lot of people that they don't need it, what they say, you know, in their heart. And I know a lot of people like that that I've tried to talk to about the Lord, and it's, okay, you got it all figured out, it looks like, you know. What are you going to do? You know, I, I try. What are you going to do about your sin? 
Oh, we'll figure it out. Me and God got an understanding. I had a, I told I told you about Brian Spafford all the time. He's uh, the the guy that led me to the Lord in the Marine Corps, and uh, he had a brother-in-law that was stationed with us at one point over in Bahrain, and he packed parachutes. So he was a gunnery sergeant. He was a tough, big guy, man. You know, Brian's pretty tough, not nearly as big as Perry was. Um, his name was Perry. And uh, I just remember Brian just, and I'm watching because I'm this new kid watching these guys. Look at Brian minister to this big, giant gunnery sergeant. You know, we're just corporals. You know, we're nobodies. And, and he's minister, but he's his brother-in-law, so he's got to listen to him, you know, kind of thing. And uh, I'm watching a minister, and he's saying what, he, and Brian's super bold, just super bold. He goes, Perry. And he just, you know, we weren't really polished <laughs> ministers back then. But Perry, you know, this, that, the other thing, whatever he said, I don't want to, I don't want to throw him under the bus tonight. But and Perry looked at us, and he said, "Blank God, if he doesn't understand me." I looked. He said, "Nobody says that about God. I can't believe he said that about God." But it's one of those teachable moments for me where God's like, uh, "Pearls before swine." He has no idea that he needs it. He's not there yet. His attitude is either God's with me or he's against me. I don't care. It's that attitude. Not, I want to be on God's side. I hope I'm on God's team. There was no fear. There was no reverence. There was no respect. It was just simply, I'm fine. And if he doesn't get me, whatever. I guess we're just going to agree to disagree. Pearls before swine. One of those moments. Well, Jesus says, when you run into those moments and you come to a house and you say, hello, I'm here to tell you that the kingdom of heaven is, his hand and they look, is at hand, and they look at you and give you that kind of response, it's okay to and move on. There's a bunch of people that are praying for answers and looking for God to speak to them and hoping for some way of salvation. How am I going to, how's this going to work? You know, how do we get out of this mess? Those are the people we take the time with and minister to. If they're not worthy, if they're not ready, if they're not prepared, it's okay. It will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city that does that to you, that kicks you out. Like the, like the, the, the ten cities with the Decapolis, you know, the two, the two crazy guys that we read about, naked and full of demons and went into the swine thing. They asked Jesus to leave. Be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for those ten cities for neglecting so great a salvation. Verse 16, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Okay, thanks. (laughs) Doesn't call us sheep dogs. We've kind of adopted that term that, you know, there's some sheep dogs that just kind of watch out for the sheep, make sure they're okay and they're protected and all that. There's really, there's really no calling to that, but we like to use it. Jesus says, I, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So... Expect that. There are wolves out there. It's not going to be rosy. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless or innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and to scourge and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you, just, what you should speak, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. 
There it is. We know that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, but here Jesus calls him, this third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of the Father. There, it's impossible to talk about. It's just is. It's true. Jesus says, it's my Spirit I'm giving to you. I will not leave you orphans. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I will come to you. What are you talking about? Well, it's all us, and it's us individually, and it's hard to describe, but here it is. Now, I'll get back to the, the point. I want you to go out, and I want you to be smart, but I want you to be moral is the idea. Wise as serpents. There's not, we don't need to check our brains at the door when we're out ministering. It's okay to look over your shoulder. It's okay to wonder who's going to have situational awareness. It's okay to be wise at what's going on around you. You don't have to cast yourself onto, into harm's way. You can be aware of what's going on. I want you to be wise as serpents. I want you to be prepared to give a reason for the hope which lies within you. But I also want you to be harmless or innocent, moral. Both are very important in the ministry. You need to be tough. You need to be wise. You need to be aware of what's going on around you. But you also have to be a moral person. You have to be walking in obedience to God. I want you to be harmless. I want you to be innocent as a dove. But beware of men. Watch out for men. Because it isn't just Satan that's our enemy. The world, the flesh, and the devil are our enemy. And the world, man, they want to shut you up. They want to shut me up. Beware of men. But they're going to they're going to get these guys need to be beat. They're talking about blasphemy. You know, they try to get Jesus, try to catch him several times. You know, who's uh, do you give taxes or don't you give taxes? Uh, uh, what do you do in this situation? They're always trying to catch him and snare him and trap Jesus and get him in trouble. They could never get anything on him. He was wise, slick, smart, always put the answer right back on them. And they were like, hmm, yeah, I don't know how to answer that. Okay, then. And leave me alone, let me minister, you know. But he's also harmless. But he was not he was not helpless, you know. I don't ever see Jesus being helpless unless he decided to be helpless, which is at the cross. He allowed them to nail him to the cross. He allowed them to beat him, to whip him. Several times we see him avoiding the mob. One time they were all going to throw him off a cliff, and he just walked through the midst of them. They didn't even see him go. So when he wanted to, he was able to. I can avoid this until it's time. But when it was time, he made himself vulnerable and available. As ministers, as people who are ministering the gospel to this world, we need to be wise, sharp, smart, know the answers, and know how to answer back. It's okay to put it on them. It's okay for them to feel foolish for challenging this most beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ. And harmless as doves. So beware of them. They're going to cast you. You're going to be brought before kings, but don't worry about what you're going to speak. It's going to be a testimony to the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Father, is going to not only do it for you, but tell you what to speak in those times. I've spoken of John 14 several times, John 16. This is, this is where Jesus is telling his disciples of the promise of the help or the Holy Spirit. He goes through a long list, and you can, you can almost, as you're reading it yourself, you can almost see the disciples' eyes kind of glazing over as he's talking. Because he'll say something. You ever have that? You're talking to somebody, and they'll say something that's of interest to you, and you'll kind of wander off on that thought. 
And they're still talking, but you're not hearing what they're saying? Maybe you do that right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's familiar. Well, when Jesus speaks in John 14 and chapter 16 of, of, that, of that book, he, he does. He shares that with them. Here's what's happening. I'm going to die. This is going to happen. You're going to go. They're stuck on die. But don't worry. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the helper to you. He's going to come and lead you and guide you down through. But when I die, and that's all they're hearing, they forgot. They miss. Well, let me read it to you so that we know. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you. I'm only going to do chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. Jesus is telling the disciples of all that's going to happen to him. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, an unbeliever cannot have this, because it neither sees him, it's a him, nor knows him, another him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. See how he toggles there? I'm going to send, I'm going to pray the Father for him to send you a helper, and I will come to you, the Holy Spirit. It's the Trinity, you know? And I love this chapter. And just those two verses alone throws Jehovah's Witness for a loop. They're telling you that the Holy Spirit, they're, they're the ones that just, they don't believe in, in that. Jesus is um, not who we believe Jesus is, not the Son of God, not God come in the flesh by any means. But they also believe that the Holy Spirit is a force or an essence where you can open their Bibles, the New World Translation. That's the only one they're authorized to you, and it's been updated since 1984 to the new version. But they still miss these things. You say, well, if the Holy Spirit is just a force or instance, how come Jesus himself says it's a he, a him, a he, a him, a he, like seven different times here? He's a person. Well, they don't have answers. You know, Oh, you're a Trinitarian. You're, you're one of the, you know, and they're kicking the dust off their shoes as they leave your front porch, whatever. I know they're shaking in their boots after you confront them and show them in their Bible that it calls the Holy Spirit a he, a person. They've got to deal with that. They may not deal with it in front of you, but they'll deal with it. And it may minister to them. It may save them and get them out of that cult. John 16, verses 7 through 11. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. It's going to be a great thing when I go. He's been talking about leaving, and they're stuck on him dying. He's saying, no, it's a good thing that I'm going, because this is what's going to happen. Later on in that same chapter, verses 13 through 15, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. In other words, I only speak, Jesus says, of what the Father tells me to speak, and he will only speak what I tell him to speak, but that's the same as listening to the Father. I just love how he's trying to describe himself, you know, three in one, and just 
That's as, that's as good as we get as far as an explanation of the Trinity. That's enough. Now, besides all that, what a relief that when I go to minister to somebody, if I'm sent and filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't have to worry or plan or get my, well, I better get my notes right, better get my things right. Now, there's nothing wrong with study to show yourself approved and to be prepared when you have that chance. But if you don't have the chance to get prepared, you can trust the Holy Spirit's just going to, boom, give it to you. Stephen didn't have any time to prepare his sermon, and it was one of the best sermons you'll ever read. It was amazing. Peter didn't have any time to prepare. He had no idea he was going to walk out of the room. He's sitting up there praying. They're picking Matthias as they think the next 12th apostle. We don't know. They're casting lots, figuring out what's going on. Jesus is gone. All I know is he told us to wait here. Holy Spirit falls upon that room, fills them all. They all come out speaking in tongues, filled with the Spirit. And Peter looks, and he says, we're not drunk. And he begins to give this great sermon. And 3,000 people come forward to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be guided by him. And when it's time and when it's appropriate, when it's him and his moment, wow, look out. Jesus is telling him, don't worry about it. I'll tell you what to speak. None of these guys feel prepared for ministry. None of these guys have a degree in their back pocket and think that, okay, now I've arrived, I can do it. They're bewildered, they're scared, they don't know what they're, I don't know what I'm doing. Don't worry, the Holy Spirit will do it, he'll help you. Verse 21. Now, brother will deliver up brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. In other words, this is not a rosy gospel. This good news is going to divide. It's going to cut families in half. Children are going to turn over their parents. Look, there they are. They're the believers. They're the ones, you know. Brothers will deliver up brothers. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. In other words, endure. It's okay. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. Hold on to that verse. When they persecute you in that city, flee to a different city. It's okay. For assuredly, I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher. In other words, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, remember they said that Jesus cast out demons by, the, by Beelzebub. He's the king of all the demons. That's why they listened to him. He says, if they call me that, how much more will they call those of his household? Of course, they're going to do that. Therefore, do not fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. You don't have to worry about your reputation. You don't have to defend yourself. They can say whatever they want to about you. Believe me, all their sin will be shouted from the mountaintops and they'll be exposed. For all that, you don't have to expose them. You don't have to worry about it. They'll take care of you. Or God will take care of you. Verse 27. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. 
Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls into the falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are uh, of more value than many sparrows. You know, you're worth a lot of sparrows. It's okay. Not one sparrow falls. Now, here's what he doesn't say. Don't worry. God protects the sparrows. He'll protect you. It's not what he said. He said, the sparrows fall to the ground, and I notice God knows that that happens. In other words, you may fall to the ground. You may not survive it. He's never called us to be in the ministry to survive it. He's called us to do it with boldness from the mountaintops, from the housetops, to preach it, not being afraid of them. Because all they can do is kill your body. He doesn't say he's not going to let them do that. I don't mean to smile, but... (laughs) <laughs> there is a freedom when you realize, go ahead and kill me. It makes no difference to me. I'm going to heaven. For to me, dying is gain. I'm worried about the one who can kill me anytime he wants and take my soul. So I'm on his side. Can you take my soul? No, I can't take your soul. I can kill you, though. Oh, God, that's fine. You know. And to have that attitude and to understand that, ministry gets a whole lot easier because now you don't care. You don't care about your reputation. You don't care about yourself. You don't care about your life. You're not caring about your well-being. You're leaving that in God's hands, you see? And he really wants them to go out this way. Sparrows fall all the time, but all of them fall. God knows. And you're worth a lot more than than, than some sparrows. Okay, I was hoping I was. Therefore... Whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's a big deal. The confession isn't, we've kind of twisted it a little bit. We've, we've taken this to mean that if you, you, know, you come forward at, a, at an altar call or something like that, that that's your confession, that's you being out loud about your faith, or even a water baptism, you do it in front of people, and, you, and we, there it is, you know, I've done it. No, 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 no. It's not, no, it's living a life. My life is a confession. I walk in the newness of Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ live in me, you know. It is me every day living out loud for Jesus Christ. That's my confession. And I don't deny that for anybody. If this is the case, then Peter would be okay denying Christ every now and then because he came forward at one point, got baptized by John the Baptist, walked with Jesus, was a disciple sent out. But no, he denied Christ three times. And that wasn't okay. Now Jesus brings him back, and there is forgiveness for those sins, but it has to be confessed as a sin. It's not okay to deny him permanently, you know? For therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess. And that's what we want. I'm going to confess Jesus. I'm not going to confess anybody else. Nor is any other name authorized that we can confess in order to have him confess for us. We don't want to be denied. Here's what Peter went through. In Matthew chapter 26, verses 73 through 75, it's a long chapter. But it's at the end here. And I'll just read the last Three verses. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. In other words, Jesus has been arrested, he's been scourged, crucifixion is the next day, it's nighttime now. They've trying to round up all the disciples, if you didn't know this. 
And Peter is following Jesus, but kind of incognito. He doesn't want anybody to know that he's a follower of Christ because he's afraid he'll get crucified, even though he said he would. Remember that. I'll I'll die with you. This is number three, his third one. Jesus says, you're going to deny me three different times before the rooster crows tonight. No, not so. Yeah, well, this is it. Your speech betrays you. Then Peter began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Now, I'm teaching you this because 32 and 33 can be disconcerting if you're like, well, I think I've denied Christ once or twice in my life. Maybe I have. Maybe I did. Is this it? Well, here's Peter denying him three different times. Here's the response. Only John documents it. This is Jesus bringing Peter back in and forgiving him. John, he's, he's died on the cross. He's been dead three days. He's risen. He's shown up on the shore. Peter's out fishing, thinking all is lost and everything's bad and the whole world's terrible and I'm a terrible person. And he sees Jesus on the shore and he recognizes him and he dives in the water off the boat and he swims to shore. But what's he going to say to him? The last time I saw you, I denied you three times. And so here's that exchange. Jesus is cooking fish for breakfast. Peter's standing there sheepishly. And he says to him, finally, this is his response. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, that's a bad name to carry. Simon, son of Jonah. You know, nobody wants to be named after Jonah. He was a terrible prophet. Hated the people he ministered to. Peter responded to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. First words out of his mouth, he's spoken to Jesus since he denied him three times. Do you love me? Yes. That's one. He said, then feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. And the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Why was he grieved? Because he knows what he's getting at. He's reminding him of the three times you, remember the rooster deal? This is me fixing the rooster deal. And he was grieved by it. He says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. And get at it, man. What a day for Peter, you know. I, this, is one of the, this is one of those passages, it doesn't matter how many times I read it, I'm just broken. And so thankful. Because you know what he's doing. Peter, you can't minister. You can't do anything but, you know, you can't, you can only fish now. You can't even think about ministering because you think you're disqualified because you think you did something that was too far gone that you cannot be brought back to me. Well, let's fix that right here now before you leave this breakfast. Do you love me? Good. Do you love me? Good. Do you love me? Good. Now go feed my sheep. I mean, tell me that wouldn't just fire you up. You're forgiven. You're loved. I understand. I'm giving you my blessing. Now get back on the, the bike or whatever. <laughs> Go, Peter. So when you read this 32 and 33, keep that in mind. You may deny Christ, but you'll get more opportunities to confess him. Just don't blow it next time. Don't blow it. Do not think that I came to bring peace 
on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Hear those words coming up again? These are the worthy things. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. That's probably one of the most forgotten scriptures. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. You're either for Christ or you're against Christ. I'm here to figure out which you are. And Jesus is that divider. You're either with me or you're against me. He who receives you, receives me. He who receives me, receives him who sent me. So now he's brought us into the Trinity in a sense. If they receive you because of the words you speak, they're mine, then they're receiving me. And if they're receiving me, they're receiving the Father. In other words, good. It's good. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. He's given him a little prestige there. He's given us all that step, that, that title. You were a son or a daughter of the living God. And when they touch you, they touch me, God says. And when they listen to you, then they're listening to me, God says. He sees you that way. Now, he doesn't protect you just like he didn't protect me or himself. They took me to the cross. They may take you to the cross, but understand this. You're going to live the same place I'm living now, which is in heaven with God forever with my father. And you're, as I was welcomed in, well done, good and faithful son, back into the fold up there, you did it. You died on the cross, even though you took that cup that you asked if it could be passed any other way, let it pass me. Nope. Same for you. Same for you. You're brought in. You're brought in. And we have that. And I went long. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for this chapter. This is everything you said to the guys before you sent them out to go minister. We know that from the other gospels, they came back so excited about all the things that you had done. And what you were most excited about was that they had the truth. Not about the demons, not about the healings, not about all the supernatural things that took place, but that they were sharing your truth. And that was the beautiful thing, that their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So we thank you for that tonight. Fill us with your spirit. Send us. Send us out into different areas, to different people groups, to, um, at different times, filled with the spirit, equipped by your Holy Spirit, that we might have fruit for you, that you might harvest all those that you're looking to harvest. Help us to be ready and be usable. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good night, guys. If you need prayer before you go, please come on up. Be glad to pray with you.